Yeah, my personal record book. If it makes Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the fans of the Steelers, you, uh, if it makes everyone feel better, in my own personal record book, uh, the Steelers won that game, the Patriots lost, and that means the Steelers are on track to be the one seed in the AFC. <laughs> the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. As a white straight dude, I am happy the Oscars are over. All that inclusion, all that gender equality stuff, that really makes me uncomfortable. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 4129-222-874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. A lot of people are mad that The Shape of Water won the best picture over Get Out. Because, in their opinion, Get Out was a fantastic social commentary. I think that the bigger minority is Fishmen. The movie was about a fishman and a deaf woman. Mute. A mute woman. This is where I bring Tom in earlier than we've ever brought Tom in. Tom, what's the difference between being a mute and deaf? In fact, actually, don't chime in. That's why this movie's important. That's why we need The Shape of Water. To end these kinds of questions, to end my ignorance, to start the conversation, which it did, and now I get my answer from Tom. Yes, a deaf person is someone who can speak but can't hear, where a mute can hear but just can't speak. This is what The Shape of Water has done. It has created conversation about not just fishmen, but about the deaf and the mute. I didn't know what the difference between the deaf and the mute was before. I do now. I know the difference between a black man and a white man. Treat them all the same. But I knew the difference between before watching Get Out. I did not know the difference between mute and deaf until I watched The Shape of Water. And that, my friends, is why it was a powerful social commentary that creates conversation. It is a weird concept, though. Although, have you seen that fish, dude? Shredded. First round pick in the NFL Combine, if the fish dude was there. Don't know how he'd... Last in some of the drier climates, Denver, he'd be screwed, but that dude ripped. 4129222874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. We were supposed to do the taste test today of the Girl Scout cookies compared to Brian's cheap ass brand of Girl Scout cookies. And unfortunately, now that I'm back off the diet, I ate all the Girl Scout cookies my wife brought home. No joke. I had an entire sleeve of Thin Mints. I ate half the box of Tagalongs and the Samoas. I left my wife one Samoa. She got home from work on Friday, and there was one damn cookie left. And those babies? 150 calories for every two. So tomorrow on the show, after I pick up Girl Scout cookies tonight, we will do the taste test at 5 o'clock. I'm going to get fat again. A deaf woman bangs a fish man in a shape of water. Yes. 
That opens a door, not just for the conversation about the mute and the deaf, but that opens the door for all kinds of love to be accepted. That's social commentary. Hashtag me blue. I don't often disagree with Sidney Crosby, but today I'll make an exception. After the, we have to stop. We'll talk about hockey in a second. Sally Wigan now joins the program. Sally, it's been a long time since we've had you on. Did I say something that irritated you? Uh, it didn't irritate me, but, but, but uh, you know, a national ESPN guy said the same thing um, this morning. Uh, hate, hated the film. Um, it was, my favorite film was Dunkirk because I love history, especially Agreed. British history. I don't know, Sally. And, that seems like it was a little far-fetched to me. That could never have happened. What, Dunkirk? Yeah. It's all totally... Oh, my heavens, it did. No. It, no, wait a minute, Adam. Really, people look at that, and if it goes the other way, Western civilization is changed. Yes. That was, that, that was the beginning of the Battle of Britain, which they won, and it inspired the U.S., which was being very isolationist. And, and then all it took was Pearl Harbor, and the U.S. came in, but the U.S. was watching what was happening. And, uh, but that's not, that was because I love Christopher Nolan, I love the film, I love Tom Hardy, so that was my favorite film. What probably happened is this. People went back and forth. I loved Get Out, except I couldn't watch it in the theater because I was too terrified to. I waited yeah, I was scared. until, I, yeah, I, I waited till it came out, and then I watched it, and I loved it, and I would have been just as, as happy, and I was delighted. But here's what voters were probably looking at: they made sure that Jordan Peele got the um, the Oscar for screenplay, uh, which is which is a great honor. Um, but but probably a lot of them, Guillermo del Toro has, has been regarded as a great filmmaker for, for quite a while. And um, um, and so it's more than it's, – it's, what it is is it's a movie that does have a social commentary. It's about how we regard nature in all its weirdness. It's about people who are different and strange, and yet they find each other. It's about uh, uh, back in that time in the '60s. It's about the Cold War and what it meant, and all it was, a, and, and all you wanted to do was try to beat the other side. And it didn't matter, you know, if you you didn't take any prisoners. There were so many different levels to that movie. When the movie was over, I was sobbing. And then it's all about mythology and what we believe in. That line when he looks at when when Michael Shannon looks at the you know the amphibious man and says you are a god, it's about what we believe in and don't believe in. I mean, it really if you look at it in the, on the surface of it, no, it, it is weird. Sally, but Sally, spo- spoilers. I mean, you just ruined all the movies for everyone. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say anything. I just said when he looks at him and says that you are a god. Okay, I didn't tell you what happened. I didn't tell you what happened. Didn't tell you what happened. Sally, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's okay after the Oscars anyhow. If you haven't no, seen I, I them by the Oscars. But here's, but here's how they vote. Do you know how they vote? <laughs> I know it's how they pre- vote. It's preferential. Yeah. It's preferential. So it, it's interesting. If Shape of Water got the most second place votes, it would win. Yeah, it's ridiculous to me. Well, it, that's how it works. Oh, no, I know it's how it works. I just don't listen, like the process. Listen, you, no, can you, listen. Ask, you can ask Val Porter. We went to see yeah. it together. 
I was crying so hard at the end, I couldn't get up. I had to hide my face. I didn't have a tissue. It was one of those, you know, like mucus cries. It was so, I was crying so hard. More disgusting, the mucus cry or the thought of being with an amphibious man? I thought, you know what? I thought, I mean, he was built. He was hot, man. No, I don't mean his real, it just, it was, I, I thought, and it was meant to be, it, it was I'm not even going to say it because, I, never mind. I had no, let's put it this way, I had no problem with the relationship. Sally, I appreciate the time. I miss you, dude. So, so go ahead and let's talk about hockey. But I just couldn't, I, I couldn't hear another guy, you know, trust me, I love Get Out. But it, it, it scared the heck out of me, but it was a great film. And, and there were a lot of great films this year, but Dunkirk was my favorite. Dunkirk was good. Uh, I was a big fan of The Darkest Hour, but I got to move on, Sally. Thanks again. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. Love you. What just happened? Tom just looks at me and starts going, go to the caller, go to the caller, go to the caller. Damn, Sally Wigan. We'll get into this. But Sally thought the amphibious man was hot. She said he was built. I'll say this. For all of you out there who might find me immature, I think that it's a lot more realistic that a mute woman has sex with a fish man than hundreds of thousands of soldiers are evacuated on civilian boats. Yep. That would never happen. Nope. The amphibious thing, that could happen. 412-922-2874. I'm now all off track, but that's okay because we embrace that kind of thing here on the show. Tom, I'm going to need you to pull the Sally Wigan audio, and we're going to have to dissect it piece by piece later on in the program. You ever take your dog out to the bathroom, and then you bring the dog back in and it has to shake? That's what I just had to do right there, is kind of recalibrate. Shake it up. I am happy, though, that Sally was listening and not just her dogs this time. From the shape of water to frozen water. I don't often disagree with Sidney Crosby, but today I'll make an exception. After that Penguins 3-2 victory over the Islanders, Crosby said that it was important that they won the game. He emphasized the importance of the Penguins getting the two points. He said, quote, the main thing is to get the two points. Try to build off that. End quote. Herm Edwards would agree. You play to avoid the loser point. I don't agree. The Penguins have an eight-point buffer between them and the final playoff spot. And winning the division, that eh, doesn't matter. At this time of the year, it comes down to playing well. The Penguins have given up 38 shots on goal in each of the last two games. That is putrid. That would qualify as not playing well. Saturday, the Penguins needed to get back to the basics. They needed to get back to playing the right way, and they did just that. Ready for some stats? Yes, snowflake geeks. The Pens controlled 5-on-5 five five play by generating 60% of the chances. Pittsburgh then outshot New York 50-27. to The defenseman didn't take as many chances as we've seen of late, and the Penguins largely managed the puck better. Pens were charted with seven giveaways as opposed to the 12-14 and 14 they'd been credited with the previous two games. If the Penguins had lost, oh well. 
They played smart, structured hockey. That's going to lead to more wins in the long haul. The Penguins, they're just going to have to hashtag trust the process. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Le'Veon Bell is likely to be franchise tagged. (gasps) Oh, no. Come on. We knew this was going to happen. I love Mark, but as I'm driving in today, he's talking about Le'Veon Bell and the franchise tag. We all knew this was going to happen. It's not breaking news. It is news because we just found out officially or unofficially officially that it's going to happen. But this was the way it was going to go the whole time. He was going to get slapped with that tag, and then they were going to have to work something out after that fact. Because it's March 5th. You haven't had a lot of time to negotiate after the season, and with how complicated this negotiation is going to be, it's going to go beyond March 6th. So relax. But I hate the franchise tag. I'm always team player, not team the man. The teams are the man. The player, I'd like to see, get longer-term deals. And the franchise tag, well, it pays them guaranteed money, and it gives them a bleep ton of it. It's only a one-year deal. And if Le'Veon Bell were to, say, have blown out his knee last year to irreparable damage, then he never would have played again. Yeah, sure, the money's guaranteed for that year, but not moving forward. I don't like the franchise tag. I also like player mobility, player movement. I think that makes for a better league. I think that makes for a more even playing field. So I'm not a big fan of the franchise tag. I'm also irritated with the concept that running backs aren't valuable. Aren't they just as skilled as wide receivers? What I think is that quarterbacks can make a wide receiver. And sure, Offensive lines help to that degree as it relates to running back. But if your quarterback stinks, you can still run the ball effectively. Jamal Lewis, anyone? I think that running backs are just as valuable as wide receivers, if not more so. Antonio Brown isn't anybody if Landry Jones is throwing him the football. The first time we saw Ben Roethlisberger go down and Antonio Brown was out there, he was putting up stats that I'd put up. Because even if you're open and the ball gets bounced there, guess what? It's not going to be a catch. And God love Landry Jones, but he's no Ben Roethlisberger. A.B. can make all that money, but a lot of his production comes from Ben Roethlisberger putting the ball right on him. Le'Veon Bell? He's got to create a lot of it on his own. Le'Veon Bell makes Ben Roethlisberger's job easier. In that regard, I don't think it's the other way around. So running backs, they're undervalued. Le'Veon deserves to get paid. I'm interested to see how this all plays out. Also, Lev Bell, if by September something hasn't been worked out, you're going to hold up your end of the bargain and retire? Yeah, didn't think so. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. I gotta get my bearings back. I mean, that got me all hot and bothered. I haven't seen Sally Wiggins since Randy Slack's going away party, and I hadn't talked to her on the air since the old morning show days. I'm sweating. I'm all excited. Braden tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. I love how you called Sally Wiggins dude and man. Hashtag millennial. I don't see gender. 
Hell, I don't even see species. It's the Crowley Show. Wait, wait. You forgot to uh, tease Jesse Marshall there. Oh, you want me to tease Jesse Marshall? Yeah, tease him. Na, 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 na. Marshall is a baby. Covering the Penguins on and off the ice. Your home of the Pens, ESPN Pittsburgh. I got Bob Huggins coming up on Wednesday, Seth Davis as well. So we will be talking about college basketball this week. But both of those guests were booked by me. Jesse Marshall, booked by me. Dale Lolly, booked by me. We've been doing this thing where every day at 2 o'clock we have a show meeting. Me and Brian and Tom. and We're trying to get things more organized around here. It's a good thing to do. But we're also all trying to do our jobs a little bit better because it's Year of Excellence 2.0. So we're going to come up with a scoring system for guests that are booked. There'll be Tier 1 guests, Tier 2 guests, Tier 3 guests. Point value assigned to each. And at the end of the week, we'll tally the points. And then at the end of the month, whoever's got the most points gets to mess with the other dude. It's a great idea. I love it. And that way we can at least get some content from Tom being a terrible producer. Penguins were able to buck their recent trend. They played a good game against the Islanders on Saturday. Joining me now to discuss is Tier 1 guest, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. What's up, Marshall? I was going to ask you what tier I was at. I mean, that was the first thing that was going to come out of my mouth. So I'm flattered, to be honest with you. Uh, I will say, though, in the interest of fixing this game, I will now only be taking booking requests from Tom. Damn it! You've lost one. i got to even the playing field here. I feel like Tom's at a disadvantage. Tom is at a disadvantage, but that's only because he's <laughs> awful at his job. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on The Crowley Show. Uh, Jesse, I started the show off, well, talking about Shape of Water and then talking to Sally Wigan, and then I started to talk about the Penguins, and even if they had not won that game against the Islanders, I would have been so encouraged by the way that they played. What say you? Yeah, respect the process, right? Um, that's what it's about. Yeah, and that was a game where... You got the impression that the Penguins are pretty upset with how they performed against the Bruins. And I was even against Carolina, for that matter. Um, yeah, although they, I thought they controlled that game pretty well, too. It wasn't the level of the, the, the way that they controlled the game against the Islanders. So I, I think they had a little bit of, uh, uh, little bit of frustration to work out uh, against the Islanders. And it's exactly what they did. It's one of those games where the scoreline is in no way, shape, or form indicative of how absolutely dominant of a performance that was in, in virtually every aspect. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, back on the right track, right? I mean, they, that was a that was a performance that would remind you of one of their performances from two or three weeks ago. Um, you know, prior to the trade deadline, when they were just sawing through teams uh, at even strength, uh, a little bit more of the same from them, and definitely a, a, a step onto the right track again. Yeah, could not agree more, Jesse. And I like the line combinations that the Penguins came out with. Uh, I thought that they managed the puck largely better. Uh, was that the biggest thing to you? They just took care of the puck more. Well, I think that every time you see a Penguin game that kind of devolves into what that Bruins game devolved into, and you go back to Chicago earlier this year, and just some of the games where they've been out of sorts and haven't looked like themselves, I think at the heart of all those performances is poor puck management. Um, and I think that Mike Sullivan has kind of alluded to that, not necessarily coming right out and saying we got to take better care of the puck, 
But I think when you're in a mode, Adam, where you're trying to just outscore the other team, right, that's, that's a distinction that Mike Sullivan has made. We're not outplaying the other team. We're trying to outscore the other team. And, and you know, in the interest of trying to create offense and trying to get up ice and be creative and do the things that you know you're good at, uh, sometimes you try to rush those plays in the defensive zone. And I think that overall, if you go back and watch the tape against the Bruins, a lot of the passes that were being made out of the defensive zone were passes, I, what I would refer to them, Adam, as hope plays, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're making a play on the puck hoping that one of your teammates is going to be there to, create, to, to corral it. Uh, it's not a play where you're picking your head up and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're sending a laser tape-to-tape pass to one of your teammates. It's a head-down panic kind of thing uh, in the interest of just getting the puck out as quickly as possible. Uh, and, and credit to the Bruins, they were there to jump on those opportunities. So uh, I think when they avoid those hope plays, uh, they get the, the puck in the hands of the talented forwards, and then they're off, off to the races the other direction. Early thoughts on Kessel and Broussard. Oh, I need more. I need more time. I, I think, I, I, you know, if I did one thing, Adam, I probably undersold how long it was going to take Derek Broussard to work out of some of the habits he had as a, by proxy of playing for the defensive juggernaut Ottawa Senators for the last, you know, year and change. I, I think that that system is just so inherently restrictive. Uh, and, and it's a passive reactive system more than it is an aggressive attacking system. And I think that, you know, the first two games, he was trying to find his way out of that. Um, and it's not something that's going to come overnight. You don't develop chemistry overnight. So I loved what I saw, uh, this weekend. Uh, I think that they're on the right track. I think, uh, having Brian Rust on that line and having a guy that can do some of that, not to say that Derek Broussard can't do the dirty work, uh, but, but Brian Rust is a space creator, Adam. He's a space creator in how he plays. He goes in there hard, uh, four checks hard, and, and his presence on that four check opens up space for everybody else. And that's what makes Patrick Hornquist great, uh, great too. So I like that combination. I think that there's something to be said for, for uh, Kessel and Broussard up to this point. I mean, in, in the limited time we've seen them, uh, I expect it to get better. I expect it to get better, especially as Derek Broussard becomes more comfortable uh, in the Penguin system as a whole. Funniest goal you ever seen? The goal that Chari gave up? Jari gave up? No. Uh, I think back to uh, 1993, uh, New York Islanders, the series that broke my heart as a child um, when uh, uh, they scored from uh, just across uh, the red line. Uh, also, 96, Tom Fitzgerald's goal uh, if the Florida Panthers. Those were equally as bad. You're right, though. The Jari one was probably funnier, to your point. Yeah, those ones were uh, soul-crushing. Those, those, yeah, those were soul-crushing. So, yeah, I was the funniest then. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I'd have to go with that one. I also enjoyed Steve Mason allowing a goal to the Washington Capitals in the playoffs for <laughs> center ice as well. So yeah. I also thoroughly enjoyed that one. But, yeah, that was – Tristan Jari felt really bad about that after the game. He said that he really – and it was a learning experience for him. Uh, this is a goalie with a lot of pedigree, and I, I, I think that – in his mind, what he said was that he thought Davidson was going to dump the puck in. He expected that puck to loop around the wall, and he wanted to get a jump on it uh, and get into that trapezoid to make a play. And then I think he realized before, we you know, but by this point it was too late that it wasn't going behind it, and it was coming right at him. Uh, and then he kind of got caught up in his own skates and, and, and fell. Get that one out of the way now, Adam, because if you need him in the playoffs, he's not going to make that mistake again. So I'd rather him do that in a regular season game against the Islanders uh, regardless of how big of a game it is, uh, I'd rather him do that now than you know in April or May. Couldn't agree more, and it sounds like his teammates were good sports about it. I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, I really couldn't. I was at a beer party, which is what us young kids like to do on the weekends, <laughs> and I 
just I was dying. I mean, I have not seen anything like that in a while. And yeah. even the Islanders, when they celebrated, I mean, they were beaming from ear to ear. Yeah, I was pretty brutal on Tristan Jari, and in retrospect, that probably was too hard on him. I think that the moment, though, coming off that Boston game, um, it just set such a horrible tempo. But it's not, I, you know, honestly, Adam, I think a large portion of why the Penguins dominated that game the way they did was the bounce back from that goal. Um, I, I think it was a team sort of collective. We're not going to go out like this type of a situation. Uh, I think the team leaders took over much as they did after the Bruins game when they kind of addressed the media at length and handled things in the locker room. So, uh, you know, maybe in a way that goal is a blessing in disguise in the sense it kind of kicked everybody in the rear and, and, and made that, you know, when you outshoot a team 50 to 27, uh, you know, you're doing something right. So I, I think if nothing else, maybe that helped uh, kickstart things a little bit for him there. I thought the Penguins showed their bounce-back ability in this game, like you just mentioned, from that goal. And then the late goal was in the third period, obviously, but it was also one of the stinker variety. The Penguins just kept coming, they kept coming, they kept coming. And in overtime, uh, they were on the PK, which is obviously not easy to kill off in a four-on-three situation. They were able to respond from that. There was a lot of panic, Jesse, about the Penguins reverting back to their old ways and being petulant and not playing within their structure against Boston, but uh, I thought that they responded in a very mature fashion to all the adversity in this game, and I thought that they did play within their structure. I just think it shows that this is a far more mature team than the pre-Mike Sullivan team. Ah, 100%, yeah. And that, and that penalty kill, to your point, that was a penalty kill of the year for me. Yeah. And the Islanders had possession of that thing almost for a full two minutes, and credit to Riley Shane and Brian Dumoulin. Um, I mean, those guys were just absolutely out there eating lanes up uh, and, and, and working hard to, to make sure that they took away every little uh, ounce of space that was available. So, yeah, I, it, I think, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they bought into the hype or, or with the Broussard trade, uh, but I think there was a lot of distraction that came with that, right? I think there was a lot of, I mean, you lose Ian Cole, you bring in a guy that, you know, has a lot of pedigree, a guy that, that you know, it's a message sender. Jim Rutherford said to this team, we're all in, we're going to try to win a third straight cup. And I think that, that for uh, to some extent, I don't think any of the players would say this, but I think to some extent that disrupted the day-to-day for them a little bit. Uh, and then you had Matt Murray going down, who, who was just absolutely unbelievable uh, in the six games leading up to his injury. Uh, and I think it just shook things up a little bit, and, and, and they lost a little bit of the focus that they had. You know, Mike Sullivan said, you don't form a habit in three games. That was what he said after the game uh, against the Bruins. So I'm not concerned about these things you know, being uncorrectable issues. We just have to get it together. Um, and he, he, to his credit, blasted them on film. I, I think uh, everybody got a little bit of a wake-up call from the coach and from the team leaders uh, in the video sessions following that game. So to your point, yeah, uh, it, it's not something that I'm super concerned about. I mean, they went through a bad stretch. and You know, that, that's why in the NHL, Adam, you, you have to take everything in an 8-10 to 10 game stretch, right? I, that, that's, that's when sample sizes kind of even themselves out and, and normalize, you know, that, that three games is certainly an aberration uh, in an otherwise unbelievable 2018, but it's not anything that can't be fixed. Can Matt Hunwick be fixed, or is it Chad Ruedel now for here on out? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that this weekend, and, and you know, Chad Ruedel, by the way, unbelievable performance against the Islanders, uh, completely controlled the game. Uh, 27 shot attempts generated with him on the ice versus only 11 coming back the other way. Uh, 11 scoring chances generated with him on the ice, only five coming back the other way. That's a great game. It's a great game for your third-pairing defenseman. I, here's what I think, Adam. I, I think back to, to Chad Ruedel's time with the Penguins, specifically you know, on into the playoffs last year, and I can't really point to a time 
where Chad Ruweed lost the Penguins a game. Right? He's a guy that you plug in. He's very serviceable in one thing, and that's being a number six defenseman. Uh, you can't take him out of that role. You can't bump him up and give him number four minutes. Uh, but you give him those number six minutes, you monitor his deployment, and you know what you're going to get back. And I think about some of the performances Matt Huntwick has had over the course of the last couple couple weeks, and you could maybe point to a game or two where you think, man, like some of those shifts cost us the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that for right now, uh, you have to roll with what you got, and I think Ruido will be in tonight against Calgary Flames, uh, and you have to play him until he gives you a reason not to. And, and I think the thing about Ruido again, Adam, is that he's not going to give you a reason not to. Uh, he's just a good game manager that can skate a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of defenseman. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, Matt Hunwick, even on his natural side, just hasn't found any level of comfort with this team yet. Jesse Marshall from The Athletic joining me here on The Crowley Show. They'll play four guys most of the time in the playoffs. Yes, uh, those top two pair on defense? Uh, sure, yeah. I, I wouldn't expect – I think if things continue as they are and, and Rubio continues to give the Penguins you know, decent performances, uh, positive performances, I, I think that's a pairing that you're still going to get out there uh, and try to limit the minutes of a Chris Letang and so he's not playing 26-27 a night. Um, but what I like so far uh, you know, is – you get a little bit of a bump out of that third pairing, Adam, because Ole Mata is just having an unbelievable season. And I think that having him on the quote-unquote third pairing with Chad Ruiel is a good thing because it forces you or Mike Sullivan, ubiquitous you, it forces Mike Sullivan to play that third pairing more because you're not going to let Ole Mata sit on the bench with the year he's having, right? Uh, so I think that the pairing of Mata and Ruiel is a good one because it gives you a little bit more confidence to deploy that third pairing a little bit more than maybe you might uh, if it was maybe Jamie Oleksiak and Chad Ruedel. Um So I think, you know, honestly, that that's something that Sullivan's really hit on here uh, is is letting Ole Mata be the, be the foundation of a pairing and letting him be the guy to take the initiative and be the rock on that pairing. Uh, he's earned it. You know, we've all been waiting ever since the, with the cancer and the shoulder surgeries and all the things he's gone through. Everybody's been waiting for him to have a return to form of his rookie season. He's outpacing that rookie season right now. Uh, so that return to form is definitely upon us. Uh, and I like the way that they've organized this thing uh, to give a little bit of uh, reliability to that third pairing. Jesse, really good stuff, man. I appreciate the time. We're going to have Tom get in touch with you for next week. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. There he goes, Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. I think Jesse's as good as it gets. And really, in Pittsburgh, it's an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the hockey coverage. Which is why I can't believe so many of you are that dumb. No, seriously. There are so many good hockey writers, so many good hockey people, so many good hockey outlets in this town, and yet everyone was jumping off the Clemente Bridge because the Penguins lost three games in a row. Lost three games in a row after getting maybe now the best third-line center in hockey. Oh, my God, Ian Cole's gone. You realize the Penguins got the best third-line center in hockey. Yeah, but who's going to block shots? Chad Ruedel? Somebody will block him in the playoffs. They didn't have Chris Letang last year. They didn't have Chris Letang last year. They won the Stanley Cup. People are like, oh, in Cole. In Cole's gone. What are we going to do? So many great outlets and so many dumb people. I love y'all. My snowflakes aren't dumb, but the rest of you are. 412-922-2874. I've decided we're not going with tier one guest. We're going to go with quadrant one guest. Like the NCAA tournament. 
This year, everything's changed. So the way that they evaluate teams is this team's got a quadrant, this win, this team's got a quadrant, this loss. And, I mean, it sounds cool, but it's really dumb. Maybe we'll get to that at the end of the show. Whenever I just throw all my throwaway topics in there, you all want my takes. I don't have time to give takes on anything, on everything. But a road win against Marquette should not be the same as a road win against Villanova. I digress. Up next, the NHL gets no respect. And the five-minute majors back, bitches. It's a Crowley show. I didn't bring this one up in this show meeting. But it just hit me now seeing some tweets get out there in the timeline. I'm going to make Brian and Tom guess. Which media member did I drunk tweet Saturday night? Oh, my first thought, right, is is your media wife, Dale Lolly. No. No. I'm talking national. Oh, you did not. I drunk tweeted a national host. You did not do who I think you did. It was not Stugatz. Okay, okay. That was my guess. I would have drunk texted Stugatz, (laughs) because we're best buds. He probably changed his number by now. Yeah, that's... Definitely the case. I know where he is, though, right now. He's out of the country. He's on vacation. We're buddies. We're a really good friend. I know that he left for vacation. I got hammered oh, no. and tweeted at Joe Lenardi. <laughs> I woke up the next morning. I was like, did I tweet Joe Lenardi last night? I'm pretty sure I did. And I looked, and I tweeted, hey, does West Virginia have a chance at a three-seed if they win the Big 12 tournament. I was desperate fanboy. I turned into desperate WVU fanboy when I'm intoxicated. Maybe I should have a few beers in me before the Bob Huggins interview on Wednesday. See, the beer takes you back to your days at West Virginia. Oh my God. So just revert. You feel like you're on campus ready to go. When my mouth tastes like natty ice, <laughs> I'm thinking about spurts, baby. Hey, Lenardi. Hey, Lenardi. Does uh, West Virginia have a chance to get the three seed? It's like Joe from Blonde Ox tweeting about Kevin Stallings. What are the what's pitch chances to win the Big Twelve uh, to win the ACC tournament? That's the guy I'm competing with, and some dude who sleeps with his cousin from Kentucky. Hey man, what do you think about Kentucky's chances at a five seed? Like it matters. Like does it really make that big of a difference if West Virginia's a four or a three? I don't think so. But <laughs> drunk Crowley thinks so. Drunk Crowley, that's the that's the only thing in the world at that moment. Oh my god. I was laying there listening to the Lumineers. <laughs> my Ireland playlist. Leanna's upstairs taking a shower. I'm petting my dog in one hand, tweeting Joe Lenardi <laughs> in the other hand while listening to the Lumineers, and I just revert back to everyone else. Like I'm brilliant. That's why this radio shows up 300% in the ratings. I am brilliant. I'm amazing at radio. But you get like eight beers in me, and all of a sudden I just turn into all of you. I turn into Mr. Richard. I turn into the sarcastic sword. Then I just start tweeting random celebrities about how my team in Morgantown, West Virginia, is affected by three... Big 12 basketball games. Tom, it looked like you had something to add there. Yeah, I just think it's awesome that on Saturday night when you're drunk, the first thing on your mind is, man, can we sneak a three-seat out if we run this Big 12 tournament? I make fun of sports guy all the time. 
I make fun of people who take far too much of their self-worth and identity out of their sports teams. Meanwhile, I'm going to bed on Saturday night wearing my West Virginia hat. <laughs> and wanting to know so badly if West Virginia's got a chance on the three line that I had to tweet Joe Lenardi. I'm a huge hypocrite. If he would have tweeted back four, you would have been depressed all night. You would. I wouldn't have gone to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I'd have kept drinking. Yeah. I'd have drank until it all disappeared. You would have started attacking him. All my feelings. Telling him he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Screw you, Joe Lenardi. We got to get Lenardi on the show. <laughs> you think he's in high demand right now? <laughs> Even if he isn't, Tom can't get him. That's true. Four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Imagine this scenario. You're watching the NCAA tournament. Oh, that is a very difficult scenario for most of the listening audience, though, as they're all pit fans. But imagine that you're watching the NCAA tournament. Maybe not your favorite team, but let's say it's a 4-5 matchup. It's Ohio State and Kentucky. It's Blue Blood versus Money Program. Here we go. It's on CBS, and with four minutes left in the basketball game, Diops, the player of the year in the Big Ten, is jacking up a three that's going to give Ohio State the lead, and the announcer goes, well, this ball's in the air. We'd like to throw it back out to 60 minutes on the East Coast. The rest of this game can be found on True TV. You think that half of America has a conniption? How about LeBron James driving to the rack on Christmas Day against Kobe Bryant? That'd be huge because Kobe would have come out of retirement. He'd probably be holding his Oscar in one hand. He'd be hacking LeBron on the wrist with the Oscar. And ABC goes, I'm sorry. We're going to have to dip out of this with four minutes to go because modern family's coming up. You can't imagine that, right? New England's kicker lining up for a game winner. I took that pause because I couldn't remember New England's kicker's name. Yeah, that's right. Whatever. It's not football season. He's a kicker. Who cares? Four minutes to go to tie it as time expires with two minutes left. He's lining up to kick the game-winning field goal. I'm sorry. Coming up next, we've got American Idol, Ryan Seacrest. You can catch the rest of the game on your mobile device. That's what happened to the National Hockey League on Saturday night. They cut out of the game, NBC did, with four minutes to go. With one of the two marketable stars in the game, Alexander Ovechkin, on the ice in order to join Saturday Night Live on time. Woof. That is awful. When Gary Bettman decided to go with NBC, I thought, this is okay. Because NBC will pour everything into it because that's all they got. Yeah, sure, they got horse racing, but that people only care about that three times a year. Sure, they'll have some football games, but hockey's going to be their thing. It's going to be their main squeeze. NBC, after that point, they get soccer. They prioritize soccer. They prioritize everything now over hockey. I'm surprised they didn't cut to an episode of This Is Us. A house burning down 
with the father draped only in a terrible towel burning to his death. If I'm Gary Bettman, I am furious. This wasn't just a regular, regular season game. That would have been atrocious. This was a stadium series game. This is a showcase game. Something that they want to put on their airwaves to make more people enjoy the game of hockey. And it was an amateur event because the lights went out for about 15 minutes. That didn't help things. The NHL's got its cross to bear here as well. But NBC dipped out so that we can watch Saturday Night Live, which has been good in three decades. Gary Bettman's got to be furious, and it's really only his fault. Yeah, sure, we'll go with NBC. ESPN had an offer on the table. Hockey fans always complain that ESPN doesn't show hockey highlights enough. They would if they owned the rights. Now, not as much as the NBA, not as much as the NFL, certainly. They are dumb people. But they got to go back to ESPN now. That is atrocious. The number one station that your hockey games are going to be broadcast on punted with four minutes to go. ESPN needs to get back to play-by-play and highlights anyhow. ESPN needs some help. Bring hockey back. That's a time filler. And those contracts are incredibly lucrative, even if it is the National Hockey League. Net you a lot of cash. NHL's got to move on from NBC. It's time to get fucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go to the box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. This is the 5-Minute Major with Adam Crowley. After getting pulled in two of his previous four starts and giving up five goals to the Bruins, Tristan Jari... Could have crumbled. He could have quit. He could have allowed that to affect the rest of his performance after that inauspicious start, which was hilarious. I mean, I could have done that. He didn't, though. That tells me a lot about the mental makeup of this young man. That tells me that this guy isn't going to wilt under pressure. Chad Ruedel played well. Filling in for Ryan Hunwick. Matt Hunwick's his name. Ruedel played 13.55. He tallied six shot attempts. He had three hits. He had a blocked shot. His Corsi 4 percentage on the season is 53%. Matt Hunwick's is 44%. Hunwick's more talented. But it's become clear that Ruedel plays within himself. He plays within the structure. And that's all you need when the Penguins forwards are as good as the Penguins forwards are. Connor Sherry played on the Penguins' fourth line. He looked okay. I don't love the fit there. But with Zach Astorice out of the lineup, Sherry needs to play. And if Sherry rediscovers his game, I'd put him back up top alongside Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. Broussard scored his first goal as a Penguin. Could not have come at a better time. It came from a slick feed from Phil Kessel. And I just can't wait to watch those guys grow together. I know that in the previous segment, Jesse Marshall said he needs to see more of them. I can't wait to see more of them. The Penguins live by an old Mike Sullivan mantra in this game. They just played. They overcame two fluky goals. They were able to score after killing off a power play in overtime. They did not allow themselves to get frustrated. That's what Mike Sullivan's brought to the table. Lesser Penguins teams, Dan Bilesman Penguins teams, they would have collapsed under the pressure. 
They would not have been able to get over the fact that Tristan Jari gave up the first goal. They would not have been able to get over the fact that Tristan Jari gave up the second goal. They would not have been able to kill off the penalty in overtime. The Penguins have a different mindset with Mike Sullivan behind the bench. It's Saturday Night Live. With Vanessa Bayer. Yeah, that doesn't feel good. Coming up next, is Le'Veon man enough to retire? Because the Stellas be slapping him with that tag. It's the Crowley Show.